Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Jen Silver is a remarkable woman. I am so excited for you to listen to this interview. One of my favorite parts is when she talks about changing her name. Get excited for that part. She also is a single mom, a roofing contractor, and a millennial whisperer. This woman lives intentionally, and I am so excited for you to glean the wisdom that she has to offer. I read and basically just got to know Jen via her Instagram. And what she says on her description is, I am a single mom, roofing contractor, and millennial whisperer who is shifting the restoration industry to make the process easier for homeowners. So of course, my obvious first question is, what is a millennial whisperer? Right. Well, so millennials are an interesting group of people, right? And um, I myself am not a millennial. And I find that a lot of business owners you say the word millennial and they're like, oh, no, I don't want them. I don't, you know, we can't deal with them. And I, I hired only millennials for a while. Right. And there's a few things that I discovered about millennials. They're not money motivated. So to the rest of us that are older, that, that doesn't make sense in our brains. Right. Because what is there? Why else do you work? Right. That's, that was what was you know, drilled into me, you work to make, you know, make a living and to have things and do these things. And millennials don't see life the same way. You know, their baby boomer parents worked really hard to have things and then told their kids, don't forget life. Don't forget to balance. Don't forget quality, you know, all of that. And they remembered it. So financial gain is not always their first priority. The other thing to remember about millennials is they were pod babies. Okay. So what pod babies are is, you know, when I went to school, I'm not sure when you went to school, but when I went to school, I didn't sit in groups, right? We had individual desks and we worked quietly alone and millennials worked in, you know, circles or pods and they worked as groups. And so they need connection and they need connection all the time. And even if they just sit in the same room together, they still need connection. So when you isolate millennials and you put them by themselves, that's when they're on their phone, they're looking for the social media connection or some other type of connection, but it really isn't laziness, which is what we think as older generations is we think, oh, they're not working. They're just surfing the internet. You know, they're on social media, blah, 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 blah. But it's, it, it's a different reason than what most people comprehend about millennials. And the third thing to remember, I think, is that Millennials need a purpose. They need to know that what they're working towards is bigger than themselves. And the why behind the business and the why um, behind contribution and feeling like there is a huge opportunity for them to give back is a big deal. When you can offer millennials all of those things, they're happy. Now, I recently had a a kind of a rough lesson with my millennials. We had a super great culture. They don't do well, even on short terms of those things missing, right? So September, I went on tour nationally. We had a lot of organic growth. It got very overwhelming for them. And that long-term commitment that some of us, would see is this is okay. We can get through this. It's a couple weeks. Like if you're not there and present with them, reminding them, it's very easy for them to lose sight. And I ended up losing a couple of my millennials, you know, just for that reason. And so it's, it's, it's a whispering in progress, right? And there's, (laughs) there's, there's a lot to learn. And it was a great opportunity for me as a leader to kind of reevaluate and see, okay, how do I balance 
all of this? How do I, you know, continue to be on the road and support the restoration industry and maintain my culture at home? And that, you know, it's important to stay in touch with them, talk to them every day, keep them, you know, focused on what the goal is and where, uh, what the company mission is and remind them of that. I probably should have had like posters and, you know, things up and and it seems kind of, you know, um, I don't know, juvenile maybe, right. To need to do that, but they are like kids in a lot of ways. And being a uh, leader of millennials is often like being a parent and you just have to be willing to do that. And then they're great and they're loyal and they're devoted and they're wonderful, but you have to get all of that and you have to be willing to shift your leadership style to make it work. And sometimes that's challenging in some businesses. Wow. So you've talked about your business. Yes. So let's, let's shift to that. So how did you get into the roofing industry and tell us about that? Okay. So people always ask me that. Um, I spent my twenties in the restaurant business and I was a manager and then I was a general manager. And ultimately I became a district manager for a grocery store chain and a regional training manager. And that was fun. And I really enjoyed it and I made great money, but it, doesn't have a really great conducive lifestyle to being a single mom. And the fact that I was living in a state that I really didn't know very many people living in Utah when I uh, originally got here, I knew that I would probably have to start all the way over and work myself back up. And if I was to go down that path, then I, I didn't want to do that. So trying to find a job that would work being a single mom, have the flexibility that I needed, but generate enough income. Cause I, when I got divorced or uh, separated originally in 2016, I moved into low income housing. I hadn't worked in eight years and I had lived in another country for four of those. So being in Utah, I hadn't really met anybody. I'm not um, LDS. And so I didn't have like a church that I was a part of. Right. And that's a huge part of networking here. And I understand that. And I respect that, but it just, my life was a little bit different. So I didn't grow up here. So what was I going to do? I decided I wanted to go into outside sales. Sales are scary as a woman being a sole provider. So I wanted a stable industry. So I picked construction, but I didn't know anything about construction. Right. (laughs) So that was like the very minor, minor detail to my plan. But I do know that I'm intelligent and I have the ability to gain that type of knowledge. I knew I had all the skills required, but it was just gaining knowledge. And knowledge is much easier to gain than it is to train skill. But now I had to convince somebody that I had all of that, right? So I took a job. uh, Actually, I asked for a job at the Ogden Golf and Country Club, where all the construction owners hang out and play golf. And I bartended there for a summer, met people. And ended up getting a job at one of our local uh, distributors in Salt Lake. Took a huge pay cut to work the front desk, but I knew that it was an opportunity to kind of get my foot in the door. So in September of 17, that's where I started and I learned all things roofing. Um, I did plant tours. I learned, you know, from different manufacturers. I learned from different roofers that would take me out and explain things to me because it was fun because I was a girl and I was you know, I didn't know anything. So they're like, yeah, come on, I'll take you out on a job. You want to go, I'll teach you an inspection. I'll go to show you what we do. And it was, it was a great opportunity, one for me to network within the industry. And then two, for me to gain a lot of knowledge really quickly. Um, from there, I went to a roofing company as their sales manager. I grew that business. I uh, got promoted to general manager. Um, they unfortunately went out of business due to legal complications. And so I started my own company because I thought, Hey, it can't be that different than being a general manager and very different, very different than being a general manager. But, um, you know, I, I just kind of jumped in and here I am almost two years later. Wow. So first off, I hear in your story that you have always been one ambitious and two that you've known where to go. 
when you're trying to figure something out? So I'm very logical and strategic. I sit and think, okay, if I was somebody going to hire somebody, right, what things would I want to know about them? And then who are those people? And then how do I meet them? And how do I meet them in a setting, honestly, where their guard is down, where they're not going, okay, is this person selling to me? Because I don't want, I didn't want it to appear that way because I wasn't. I just wanted them to understand who I was on a very basic level. So yes, logical and strategic. Absolutely. I plan my stuff. Uh, Resilient, right? I think that that's probably another word that I would use to um, describe myself as, you know, being resilient. And yes, I'm very driven and always have been from a very young age. Do you know how you got that? Did you just get that by coming here to earth or did you? (laughs) I'm kind of curious, like how do Because some people feel like, I don't know, this is just an observation. I am a millennial. So when you described how we're not very monetarily motivated, that Mm -hmm. rings true to me. I'm not really monetarily motivated. And sometimes it bothers me. Why doesn't that motivate me? But I think in some ways, as the older you get, the more you become like, I got to be real about life. I've got to be real Mm -hmm. about my future. And so I guess that there's just that there's that question for me of, did you grow that muscle? Or did you come that way? So I think there's a combination of both in that, right? I think some people are maybe naturally comfortable being driven. And I think that comes with assertiveness. But my drive is not driven by money. And I think that when people see ambitious people or they see resilient people, they instantly think drive is driven by money. And it's not. My drive is driven by freedom. So, and I am a very giving person and I want to have the freedom to give in any way that I want without limitations. I will never be the, I mean, I think there's a picture on my Instagram of me standing next to a hot pink Porsche, such a sexy car. It was awesome. I would never buy one, right? I I just couldn't justify doing that. I'm not a diamonds person. I'm not a $5,000 handbag person. But I would probably drop a hundred grand on somebody to give them a house that they never thought they could have possible. That kind of stuff motivates me. I have been so blessed at so many different times with people that have selflessly helped me and some in large scales and some in smaller scales that they probably don't even realize how much they blessed me. And I felt so trapped because I couldn't give back. And I felt like even showing gratitude or being grateful was never enough. And I don't want that. I don't want to ever be limited in what I have the ability to contribute. That's a huge part of my drive. So finding your why is probably what you're missing. Yeah. And I would actually say that uh, there's also circumstantial things that uh, contribute to that reason that you feel that way. And so I am curious about when you got divorced and then you were in the low income housing, what was that like for you? Like, how was the transition? Oh, it was the hardest, probably one of the hardest times of my life. You go through feelings of self-loathing and am I making the right decision? You know, I've got my kids in this little apartment and we're trying to make ends meet and I'm working three jobs. And how do you do it? Do I just stay in the unhealthy marriage? Is that what I'm supposed to do? And I had some pretty dark, dark moments and of feeling like I shouldn't be on the earth. I was, you know, not contributing anything. I was probably hindering my children more than I was helping them. And thankfully, I got diagnosed with compound PTSD. And went through some EMDR therapy. And that really started to shift the way I saw myself. And I took that as, okay, well, I'm here. I can get here. I have no idea how. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I've got four little people that are watching me and counting on me. And gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. So here goes nothing. And it started with a really simple 
thing, which most people think is crazy, but I made up my name. So when I got divorced, I did not want to keep my married name and I did not want to go back to my maiden name. What does that leave me? Right. I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? And so I came in and I started telling my friends that I had decided I was going to make my name up. And I say a lot of things and they think I'm crazy. Just like I told them I was going to be in outside sales and told them that, you know, I would make X amount of money. And they just are like, Oh, okay, Jen, you know, you're, you're bartending. That's great. You know, whatever. We love you, but sure. Um, but I told him I was going to make my name up and I knew that it was going to cost me around $2,500 and I was going to have to run it out in the paper. And I had all of, I had done all the research and then I said, okay, now we got to pick a name. And they're like, this is the craziest thing we have ever done with you. Yeah. But it may not be the craziest thing you ever do with me. Like maybe two dates. Okay. I get it. This is what we're doing. And I had three main criteria. I wanted it to be simple so that I didn't have to spell it every single time because my married name was one of those names. And not only did I have to spell it, but I'd have to military alphabet the name because the letters all kind of sound the same and it just drove me crazy. I wanted it to be memorable. And I wanted to make sure I didn't know anybody with that last name because that would be kind of weird. So, hi, I just changed my last name to yours. And no, I'm not psycho or in love with you or anything. (laughs) I just liked your last name. So I I could not know anybody with that last name. And I came in and I tried on, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 different last names. And we'd kind of sit there and we'd say it. And we're like, nah. And then I came in with silver and they're like, that's it. I love it. And I go, well, it definitely crosses off every one of those lists. And I did not know that silver is actually a Jewish last name, which is why I don't know anybody in Utah with the last name of silver, because Utah does not have a really high Jewish population right now. If I had been on the East Coast, it might be a little bit different, but I just, I didn't know that. I just knew I liked the name and it sounded really cool with Jen and it was memorable and it was easy. And I you know, somebody doesn't understand me, then I just say silver, like the metal. And they're like, cool. And that's it. And that was probably the first step in becoming and finding myself and who I am, right? Doing that one small thing for myself was so empowering in creating my own personal identity. And then everything I created from that is tied to that. It's not tied to anything from my past, any cards that I was dealt any bad choices that I made, it was new and it was fresh and it was mine. And so someday when I write a book, it will be called Becoming Jen Silver because that's really what it's about. And that one thing is probably what took it off from there. And here I am. That's amazing. I have never heard a story like that. So I love it so much. Well, thank you. And the crazy thing is like I went to mediation and my mediator goes, so what are you going to do about your last name? And I go, Oh, I got it under control. I'm making one up. And she's like, what? And I tell her the story. She's like, no, I'm just putting it into your divorce papers. You don't have to go through any of that. And I'm going, what? It's that easy. You can just put it into my divorce papers. And she's like, yeah. So I get my divorce papers and it says my name's Jen Silver. And I can remember walking into the DMV going, is this really going to work? This one little thing, is this really going to be the change that I you know, want for myself in this empowering moment? And I hand it to her and she stamps them and gives me my driver's license. And I sent it to the passport agency. And I'm like, well, hey, here I am. Hi, I'm Jen Silver. That yeah. is so much fun. It's been great. <laughs> uh, I also love the power of a decision that was made in that moment to be, again, I feel like you were very clear about what you wanted to create and then you were able to. So I feel like this is sort of showing up again in the story is like a clarity that you have for your life and that you know where you want to go being in outside sales, for example. How has it been going the last two years of growing a business and establishing your own business? And you said it's very different than being a general manager. Tell me a little bit more about that. So one thing about declaring things, right? Things that exist in our minds or things that exist internally don't exist. So the first step to anybody actually seeing results in your life is to declare it. And when I want or need help being held accountable, 
because people around you will hold you accountable out of support because we'll quit on ourselves. And that's why things don't happen because we don't speak them into reality. So I think that that is a really important thing. If you want to see a change in your life, you have to declare it and you have to declare it publicly. Now, does that mean you have to like go on TV and broadcast it? No. Doesn't mean you have to declare it on social media. No, but you need to start to declare it to the people that are close to you so that they can encourage you and support you and push you to do it because you will quit on yourself. We all will. So I think that that's the key there. As soon as I've made a decision, I publicly declare it. And that's the only way I get it done. Otherwise, I won't. So as far as the second part, the business owner side. So it's an adventure, right? I I don't think, I think what people envision is all of a sudden, you know, you're a business owner, you must be rich. You must be rich. You must have all of this money and time to do whatever you want. And I joke about doing a TikTok of what people think my life is like with like these big, huge Gucci glasses and Chanel bags and my feet up with people like pampering me. And then what my life is really like, which would be like my hair like this, my makeup half done and my kids screaming. And sometimes I got dinner going and sometimes it's burnt and sometimes I'm home and sometimes they're Uber eating McDonald's, right? It's not the glamorous life that people think. There's a lot of challenges, you know, you have to let go of control of a lot of things and trust people around you to make good decisions on your behalf that don't necessarily have anything to do with them. You know, there's a lot of legal liability that goes into being a business owner. There's a lot of emotional responsibility of the people and their families and, you know, continuing to keep the business going so that because it's people's livelihood, you know, and it's not just yours anymore. And it's not just theirs. There's a whole huge, you know, gambit of things that are affected by bad decisions, you know, and so it it's a lot and you grow a lot and you're scared a lot and you don't feel worthy a lot and you feel like an imposter a lot and you um, second guess yourself a lot. And then you kind of get to a place where it's like, well, I'm doing the absolute best I can, Right. Um, I'm making the best decisions that I can, and I have to allow myself a little bit of grace when I don't know and some forgiveness and hopefully God will do the rest. And if I just listen and I'm obedient, things seem to work out. And I've been really grateful for that. And what role has God played in this journey that you've been on? Well, whether you use the word God or you use the word the universe or your intuition, right? There's different words that people use based on their comfort level. And I respect that. For me, it's God. But God had to crash a plane into my house for me to, and I literally mean a plane into my house, for me to recognize and finally listen to him. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I know that he's talked to me and I've chopped it up to that wasn't really him or, oh, that what, whatever justification or excuse that I made. Um, and then in February of 2020, I have a townhouse in Roy and my kids had walked to my townhouse and I was living in Layton in a house that I had rented coincidentally right before COVID, but it was great because it was on like three and a half acres and we had all this space, but they were still walking to my townhouse in Roy and it was Wednesday and they get out of school at one o'clock. And I usually would pick them up at five, one thirty. God starts telling me to go get my kids. And I'm like, have you seen my calendar? I cannot go get the kids right now. Like if I go get them, they're going to come back and they're going to fight. They're going to need my attention. All of these things that I need to get done are not going to get done. I can't go get my kids, go get your kids, go get your kids, go get your kids, go get over and over and over. Finally at two 30, I like, I literally slammed my hands down. I was so frustrated. I said, fine, you're not, you're clearly not going to allow me to get anything done anyways. So I'm just going to go pick up my children. So I drove to my townhouse. I pulled out of my townhouse neighborhood at 2:57. I drive home, my phone rings and my neighbor called and she's like, where are your kids? And I go "They're with me. And she goes, why? I go, well, I went and picked them up. She goes, they're always, you never pick them up. I said, I know something was telling me to go pick them up. She goes, Jenna plane just crashed into your building. And I just, I just fell to my knees because like, what if I hadn't listened for like 10 more minutes, you know, 
just 10 more minutes because the plane crashed at 309 and it was literally 10 minutes, 12, I guess, but still. And I sit back and I, I look at that and how many other things did he tell me that I didn't listen to that probably got me in a lot of the situations that I was in. And I told him that day that I would listen. And even when I didn't understand or didn't agree or thought I knew better that I would listen. And I've done that. And I feel like life has been amazing and doors have opened up that I could have never ever comprehended opening up and the amount of gratitude that I feel and the open ears that are created and, you know, faith-based people that continue to come into my life in the industry and support me on, you know, so many different things. And, but it literally took a plane crashing into my house for me to finally listen to him. That is unbelievable in a way. It's just incredible. And wow, I am so glad you went and listened to that. So am I. And even, you know, I look at it, my kids were playing outside and they were like 150 feet away from where the plane blew up. And, you know, it was a really sad situation. The pilot was flying from Bountiful to Ogden Hinkley and my townhouse is close to Ogden Hinkley. And, it, you know, he's just a single person plane and he had a malfunction and it went down in my neighborhood. And so it, it terrible sadness. He, he didn't survive. Even if my children may not have been physically injured by that, I cannot imagine the amount of emotional trauma and what they would have dealt with for the, I mean, they were seven and nine to see a plane blow up and a body and, you know, all of those things. So yeah, I'm glad that I finally just listened and that he loved me enough to be persistent, right? Oh my gosh, was he persistent? Because I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. Yeah. That is just so powerful how he does intervene in our lives. He does. Unless he does. And how are you tested and what do you treasure about being a mother? I love it when my kids are sleeping. No, uh, no, there's some like euphoric feeling that comes over as a parent. Do you have children? No, I don't. Okay. So you'll understand this someday if you have children. Okay. When they are sleeping, it's like euphoria hits and it's this unconditional love that pours out of you. And then they wake up and it's like, oh, can you just go back to sleep? Cause you were so sweet and peaceful and I love you so much. And then they like, you know, I don't want to get out of bed. No, can I just sleep? I don't want to go to school today. My head hurts. My throat hurts. Like all of these other things. I love having fun with my children. I love making memories with my kids. Uh, My son and I went and played airsoft last week and I still have some bruises. I mean, that's pretty hardcore. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, finding ways to bond with my Um, almost 12 year old son, sometimes it's hard doing things in his element may require some bruising apparently. And so be it. I did it. It looks like I'm going to be doing it weekly uh, for a while. That's what he's decided. It's our new thing. Uh, So if you see me bruised, it's not, I'm not in an abusive relationship. I assure everyone I am only playing airsoft. (laughs) I love watching them grow and seeing their personalities develop. I someday will love that I have strong, driven alpha children. Right now, it's not always my favorite. It can be challenging to parent, but they're all going to be super great adults because they can stand their ground. That's what I tell myself. Like I'm, And that is my job is to raise adults and to raise strong, healthy adults. I think sometimes if people actually told us what it was like to be a parent and always feeling defeated... And, you know, never feeling like what you did that day was enough. I don't know that people would have kids. So I'm, I am grateful that I didn't understand all of that. I hope that as they grow up and they become adults and I can see the more of the end results, so to speak, some of those feelings will um, go away, but it is, it is definitely a constant battle 
of balance and quality of time and um, that feeling of, could I have done something different? Could I have handled that better? And being humble enough to ask your kids for forgiveness sometimes. I think that's important. We talked about how you are really into personal development and emotional intelligence. And so mm-hmm. I want to, can you share anything specifically that you've learned that has really been transformational for you in your journey to this point? Oh, yes. The biggest thing that I've probably learned is you can't speak to people the way that you hear things. I pay very close attention to others, you know, their body language, their tones, um, what they say, how they react, whether or not they're structured people, whether or not they're process oriented people, whether or not they're more passive, whether they're extroverted. And I try to make sure that when I'm trying to communicate to someone that I'm speaking into their listening and not speaking out of my own way that I want to be talked to, right? The golden rule is treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And that's not true. You treat everybody the way they need to be treated. And everybody needs to be treated a little bit differently. From an accountability standpoint, there's different levels. From just a basic human connection standpoint, there's different levels. And I think because I've spent a lot of time on my own emotional intelligence, and I realize that I don't know everything, and that my way is not the only way, and I can you know, appreciate the differences and love the differences that other people offer. I think that that in itself has given me much better, more fulfilling relationships in all areas and a, a way to connect with people that most people probably don't get, right? Because I can connect with them on the level that they need to be connected on. Sometimes it's not, you know, sitting and laughing and having a good time. Sometimes it's, you know, having really real conversations. Sometimes it's just very logical fact-based things that, you know, it just depends on the person. That's probably what I've learned. The biggest thing that I've learned anyway. Wow. That was not expected. I'm so grateful. I feel like I'm just constantly being surprised in this interview. So it's, it's wonderful (laughs) thinking to myself, like, the whole name thing is still blowing my mind. <laughs> I guess that's still that whole idea of kind of identifying yourself a certain way and reestablishing that you can be whatever you want to be is a really empowering idea. I've had a lot of women going through divorce ask me, would you care if I became a silver? I'm like, dude, that would be awesome. Totally awesome. I am so good with that. If you want to be a silver, we can just all be silvers together. You're like, join the silver team, the silver family right here. That's so beautiful. So I'm curious about a habit you have successfully broken and how you did it. A habit that I have successfully broken. You want to know the the biggest habit that doesn't serve any of us is our negative self-talk, right? And our self-limiting beliefs. I spent a lot of time self-sabotaging, Okay not even realizing that I was sabotaging situations or um, that I would allow that lack of worthiness that I felt to get in the way. So I named my ugly voice in my head. Okay. Um, And I tell people this, like, if you want to start to distinguish yourself from, because you've got three voices, right? You've got your voice and then I have God. And then I have Karen and her name is Karen, not because I don't love the name Karen. Cause I actually, I have an aunt named Karen and I think the name Karen is really pretty, but what we've decided as a society that that name symbolizes is what I don't like. And that is kind of who she is, that alter ego that tells me I'm not good enough, or they're going to see right through you. Cause you don't know really what you're talking about. Like who, who do you think you are? All of those, you're not worth that. They don't really like you. This is all fake. Don't you know that? Like nobody will ever love you, Jen. You know, those things that go through your head. And so now I just say, shut up, Karen. Right? Like get off my back. I'm doing good. And when you distinguish that voice from yourself, it starts to become not real. Mm -hmm. And it's a silly, silly thing. 
Because, you know, obviously it's a voice in your head that you're naming. And I guess you could say I have multiple personalities if you were really going to break it down that way, because I've created my multiple personalities. But in doing that, it gave me a lot of power over it, right? It, it really did, you know, sever the tie of me believing that those that that voice was me too, because it's not. And it never has been. It's based on, you know, things that were told in our childhood It's based on, you know, decisions that we make at a young age based on someone else's reaction, but it's never ours and it's never true. But convincing yourself that it's that way is is a whole nother thing, right? So that's probably the best example of a negative habit and how I did it. So Karen, Karen is not there very often anymore. Every once in a while, she'll pop in and I have to, you know, for a while I was going to name her Felicia. If I could just say bye, Felicia, because I thought that was really funny too, but it did not. And I tried it, but it did not have the same power for me. And so it really is a name that you, that whoever you choose, it symbolizes something that you can laugh about to some degree, but have a clear line with. Yeah, that's very interesting, huh? I guess things do matter the way we name them. And I mean, things do have meaning, whether we like it or not, whether people Uh have power, they do. And there are definite associations we have with different names. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I apologize to all the Karens out there because I am not by any means saying that you're a Karen. It literally is just because of what it symbolizes. And it it was funny enough, but also did what, what I needed it to do, which was sever the cut, the tie. Between yeah. Me I'll take this that. personally to my sister, Karen. You're good, Karen. Yeah. Uh-huh. We love you, Karen. Karen, we love you. We totally love you. Um, and then uh, you also, the other side of this is what is a healthy habit that you've acquired and how did you do that? So there's probably a lot of healthy habits, honestly, that I've acquired, but one of them is positive affirmations. So we go back into self-limiting beliefs and clearly I've been on a path of eliminating self-limiting beliefs, if you can't tell, because it's really hard to have self-limiting beliefs and be a successful business owner. And I think women... Men struggle with self-limiting beliefs as well, but they're programmed to deal with fear very differently at a very young age than we are. And to be a single woman and face fear is hard because we're used to having, you know, dad look under the bed or lay down and tell us everything's going to be okay. Or, or, you know, the boogeyman's not coming back because he's going to protect you where we tell our sons, oh, go back to bed. You're fine. Right. And so I've been on this, this path because I was very determined to not go into a relationship until I had pushed through all of these things that I need to push through so that I can choose a relationship and not feel like I need to be there out of need or uh, desperation or um, codependency or, or whatever, right? That it's just truly a choice that I've gotten everything else and I can take care of it all on my own. Um, but positive affirmations are huge and it's hard. Okay. It's, I have a bulletin board in my bedroom. And it probably started out with like two things on it at the beginning. Now it's almost completely full. And I read them all the time when I walk by them. And, you know, it's I'm smart. I am driven. I am beautiful. I am fun. I am loving, you know, all of the things that I truly am, but the things that I didn't allow myself to believe about myself. Right. And it's equally important to love. It's more important to love yourself than it is to probably love anybody else, but it's the hardest to love yourself. And those words and seeing them and I, my daughters read them, right. They go by and my, I saw my nine-year-old and she was snuggling with me the other day. She's like, I am beautiful mom. And I am smart. And I was like, you're right. You are those things. And you're humble, right? We're humble, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, and, and, and we do positive affirmations on the way to school too, where they have to do them for each other, which is always really hard because they don't like each other most of the time. And so I make them say nice things to each other and then they do them for me and we go around the car on the way. And so they've, they've gotten pretty good at it, but, uh, it's definitely been a huge shift in habits and the way that we kind of live in our house. At the beginning, before we started to record, you told me about how you had met Greg Marshall mm-hmm. and his relationship with 
social media and how you became intentional about how you used it. So will you share that with us? Okay. So social media. So I found myself in uh, February of this year in a place where I had completed a bunch of work for the previous company I worked for. They weren't going to be able to pay the deposits. So I had no capital. I didn't know how we were going to brand because we had spent 2020, obviously not. I mean, we worked, but it's not the same type of a situation as it was when you could go out and meet with your customers. Um, And so I decided to use social media. Now I had been off of social media for a year, year and a half. I don't love social media. We talked about this. I think that it, I I really think that it creates a lot of false sense of reality. Um, It creates inadequacies in relationships. It creates um, personal or self-loathing. I think it, it's all about comparing and people don't understand it's the highlight reel, right? Like you don't see the truth in social media. And, but I needed to leverage it. And I knew that it was a really powerful tool if I used it properly. So I'm a pretty straightforward person. If you can't guess that, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty authentic and I'm pretty much an open book. And I figured, okay, if people can see who I am, they're going to get what type of business I run. And that in itself should create trust because what you see is what you get. Well, March 2nd, I had 127 friends and I'd been back on social media or Facebook for about, I don't know, a month and a half. And that, I was content with my 127 friends. I sent out 400 friend requests. Okay. This was such a huge stretch for me. So uncomfortable, all strangers, um, people that were like real estate agents, mortgage brokers, uh, people in the home improvement industry, whether they were contractors or home inspectors, um, CEOs, you know, anybody that I thought, okay, if they knew who I am, they might know people. If they themselves don't know, need a roof, they're going to have a power, an, an influence in a circle of some kind, right? Well, I hit some really crazy algorithms, I tell you, because it took off from there. And I started to get, you know, 100 to 200 friend requests a day. And I vetted every single one. I didn't, I looked and I had, Things I checked for, whether they were in the United States, whether they had relatives listed, um, mutual friends, and who were their mutual friends to actually know any of their mutual friends. Um, a lot of different things. Like, did they have work history? Did they, um, were they real people, right? Essentially, that's really what I was looking for. Did they have more than one picture that I could see other than this, like, almost plastic looking model picture? Like, there's a lot of things. And I stayed really true to that, but it was very time consuming, very time consuming. So I reached out to Greg and was like, Hey, I don't know if you know anybody that could just help me manage my social media. I need somebody to go through friend requests and I need somebody to respond to messages because I'm getting asked out like 40 times a day. And I feel like I should respond to everybody because I am a human being right? And I think that not responding or ghosting is cruel, right? Now, if if the behavior is excessive, that's a different thing, but it takes a lot for somebody to reach out and ask somebody out, right? So th- it, there is some decency around that, I feel like. Um, and they were never disrespectful or rude. So why not just, you know, politely thank them and say no? He's like, yeah, we can do that totally. And so I used his assistant, Chelsea, for a while and I called her the other Jen. And, you know, she would bet my friend requests and she responded to, I don't know how many because (laughs) she would tell me, she's like, you get asked out more than anybody I've ever seen. And I go, well, I appreciate that. And thank you for handling it and handling it with grace and kindness for people. Right. And um, she goes, but you don't get any, any inappropriate pictures. And this is a big deal. Right. When you're a woman on social media and you're putting yourself out there, every other woman that Greg has worked with has all gotten unsolicited, inappropriate pictures. And I haven't. And he's like, I need to figure out why. And I go, I think it's probably because of one who I targeted first. I've stayed really true to that. And I use my social media for a very specific purpose. Right. It's to show who I am as a business owner. And as a mom and as a person, I don't have any desire to be objectified sexually or 
um, viewed as some kind of a sex symbol or something because I'm a girl and I'm in a male industry. I'm almost, almost always in a blazer and a shirt. I'm covered. I don't, I don't take pictures from up high. I don't take pictures in workout clothes. Like it, that isn't what I want. It isn't the tension that I want. I want to be viewed as a business owner who people feel comfortable giving 20 or $30,000 to for a roof, right? That's my job. Um, and it's, it just has never, I guess people have never felt like it was appropriate for them to do that. I don't know. You'd have to ask the guys, but I would assume that that's probably what it came down to is it. I just didn't appear to want something like that. What I find interesting though, about that story is that it's like, there is something to, to the way you show up. There is some power in how you decide you're going to present yourself and you can curate how you're going to present yourself on social media. You actually can do that if you want to. Yeah. If you want to. And sometimes, you know, somebody asked me the other day, does sex sell? And I said, well, sex can sell a product, but I'm not a product, right? So I'm a service. So you look at the Carl's Jr. ads, right? Where the girls were on the hood of the car. Those girls were selling the burger, right? But those girls are not the burger. The burger being sexy on the car would have lost momentum and would have eventually been shamed because the burger is the constant. But to highlight the burger is a different thing. You can't do that with yourself as a service. Like it doesn't, it it doesn't resonate or last long term. What lasts long term is, you know, who you are, what you believe in, what you're gonna, who you're going to be. And sexuality or is never in that. So it it just has never worked. So what opportunities have come as a result of that decision to add all those? Intentional. Oh, that that's probably like a whole nother podcast. Um, to be really honest with you, so I, I I'll give a quick synopsis. I currently own four businesses and almost five. Um, I've been on a nationwide tour, and I'm still going out and hitting different conferences and doing um, different coaching calls uh, with the restoration model that I'm rolling out to support consumers. Uh, I never had any idea that it would um, unfold the way it has, but it all started from social media and, you know, someone reaching out to me for a podcast because they thought I had done a great job marketing myself and it was supposed to be around marketing and everything is kind of unfolded from there. And I know that we didn't talk about this, but the restoration model that you talk about, is that what you're, is that what you're teaching other roof, other roofers? Yep. Or what? Yes. Other roofing contractors nationally. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have a model that you teach them about how to run their business. It is how to do insurance related work. Um, and I would love to do another podcast on it. Cause if you want to sometime it is, but it's a much, it's a much deeper conversation than probably what we can cover. Um, and you know, there's been some people that are challenged in seeing how it can work. And I don't work, I don't live in a heavy storm market in Utah but I have a lot of people that are in heavy store markets that are switching to the model. And I think it's still going to be successful. And I, I feel like it's the right thing for everybody in the industry. That's awesome. That is so wonderful. And I feel like I'm making a difference. So yeah, that makes, that's hugely, that's hugely empowering to feel like you're making a difference. Um, And then gratitude, how it's impacted your life. So, um, I think it took me a long time to be grateful for all of the things that I did in life that were the wrong things, right? Um, or led me to a path that I thought didn't make sense until I'm here, right? And now I see, okay, if I had not experienced living in low-income housing, or if I had not you know, gotten to some of the lows that I had been, or if I had not sabotaged that at that point, would I truly be here with this message and able to communicate in a way that's authentic and vulnerable and um, leaves people with the freedom to feel the same, right? No, probably not. Uh, I wouldn't be able to connect with people the same way. So it's easy to be grateful for the good things in life. Yeah, right. It's way harder 
to have true gratitude for all of the challenges that you have to go through to get to the good things. And um, I can truly say that I am authentically grateful for every one of those things that happened in my life because who I am and where I'm going and who I continue to evolve into, I, I could never have been her without those things. And for those who are struggling with believing in themselves or being like, I'm not like Jen Silver. Jen Silver is X, Y, Z. She is ambitious and capable and all these things, which we might be be labeling Karen at this moment. But um, those kind of uh, the comparison vibe that I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we do and we fall into, which is no good, but we still do it. Um, How would you encourage that person? I think that anybody is capable of anything that they truly want to be right. You're everybody's number one enemy or thing that holds you back or whatever is only yourself. And it all comes down to those self-limiting beliefs. I'm not ambitious enough. I'm not driven enough. I'm not these things enough. And none of that is true. It's just things that we tell ourselves to stay safe, right? Your subconscious is, has programmed your mind and you're ruled by your subconscious. The argument is between 95 and 98% of the time. When you're operating in your subconscious, the whole design of your subconscious is to keep you safe. And safe can be relative. Sometimes safe means not stretching out of your comfort zone, right? But if you don't stretch out of your comfort zone, you can never go to that next place. So you have to reprogram your subconscious and your subconscious is your Karen or your Felicia or whatever that is that comes in and tells you to come. No, wait, wait, come back, come back, be safe, be safe right here. We know this, you know, people that have consistently made $60,000 a year, every year, but want to make 120, they may peak and make 120, but their subconscious, if they don't understand that will take them back down to the $60,000 range because that's where they're comfortable. Isn't that crazy? Even though there's nothing wrong, it's actually probably better at 120,000. You're so programmed to operate inside of your comfort zone that you will actually take the steps back to get there. So it's the same way when wanting to shift your life into something different. You have to take control of what you're telling yourself. You have to reprogram yourself subconscious. You have to push through the fears, which is really freaking hard. That's a lot of crying, a lot of convincing of yourself, a a lot of crazy nights going, what am I afraid of? Is that real? Is that really real though, Jen? Come on. Like, is that, come on, let's, let's look at that. Is that really, truly going to happen? What's the worst case scenario? Okay. What happens if you file for bankruptcy because you started a business? What does that mean? Well, hell, Donald Trump has filed for bankruptcy like five times and we still voted in the president of the United States. I don't know if it's five, it might be three, but you know what I'm saying? Like you have to really get to what is that worst case scenario and then debunk it and realize that it's probably really nothing in order to be able to push through it. I love it. Jen Silver, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you, um, how do we, how can we reach you? So I have a website at jensilver.co and I think you can follow me on all of my social media platforms through there as well as uh, sign up for my email list and my blogs and that stuff that I'm just getting started. So be patient because it's all happened kind of fast. 